ML Nation, episode 169. You know, sometimes in life you just take a beating, and you know what? That's part of the process because metal is worthless until it is shaped and tempered. If you want to be successful, you just have to copy what MLM leaders do. Welcome to MLM Nation, presented by your host, Simon Chan. Where you'll learn strategies, secrets, and inspiring stories from today's top MLM income earners. Hey, MLM Nation. This is something to really help you out. A lot of people have taken advantage of this. They also have... Uh, give me feedback. It is TaxBot. It is an app that helps you keep track of taxes. So you really capture all the legal deductions you can take for this coming year. And when it's tax time, you'd be way more organized. You just keep track of your receipts, track your mileage. It's all on the phone, whether it's iPhone or Droid. It works for all platforms and it's really easy to use. The best part is when it's time to do your taxes, you, you go to the app and it actually prepare all the documents for you. It keeps track of everything. This is way, way, way better than saving receipts or taking pictures on your phone. They're everywhere and then during tax time, it's a nightmare. And you either screw it up or you forget things or you get in trouble with IRS or audits and stuff like that so way more way way better check it out mlmnation.net forward slash tax okay mlmnation.net forward slash tax uh, learn more about it it's a really useful tool so it'll help you grow your business mlm nation this is simon chat and i'm fired up to bring you a purple episode as we go into our second year of the show we've added something new and once in a while we have a special purple episode so why purple No, it's not my favorite color, but it's a tribute to The Purple Cow, written by Seth Godin, which is one of the best marketing books I've ever read. I read it in 2005, and it taught me how to be different and stand out. The lessons I learned in that book helped me build a six-figure passive income MLM business, as well as launch a successful coaching training business and build three different online brands. So I'm calling this a purple episode as a tribute to Seth Godin, because if it wasn't for his book, I probably wouldn't be here. And you definitely wouldn't be listening to ML Nation today. So the main lesson from the Purple Cow, that book, is that you must do everything different and be different and stand out. So that's why this is the Purple episode, because it's different and stands out from the rest of the episodes on ML, um, on ML Nation. And each Purple episode will pop up randomly. And it's going to be a ton of fun. And most importantly, you're going to get a tremendous business as- education. So for this Purple episode, we're going to have a MLM super friend. And so what are MLM super friends? There are people who are not MLM distributors but who have contributed so much and dedicated their lives to help our profession and that's why we're so grateful for them. They're not just our allies because there's so much more than that. They have done so much. They are our MLM super friends. So today's MLM super friend is none other than Kevin Thompson. Kevin, are you ready to make it happen? I'm ready, man. Let's do it. I'm real excited to be on your program. Thanks so much for the invitation. Kevin Thompson is one of the most sought-after MLM attorneys in the entire direct sales industry. He's been named as one of the most influential people in the profession, and his experience has helped entrepreneurs launch their businesses with a solid legal foundation. He also works hard to protect our valuable industry and to guide it to a more exciting future. As one of the founding partners of Thomas Burden, Kevin has helped the firm grow from two employees to 17 in the short span of three years. By focusing on leadership development and company culture, Thomas Burden was selected as the support company of the year in 2014 by the Academy of Multi-Level Marketing. 
Kevin's a leader contributor in the entire MLM community. He frequently meets with media and investment advisors to explain the legal nuances associated with network marketing and has been on CNBC, Barclays Capital, Wall Street Journal, and Bloomberg, and so much more. He's also served as a keynote speaker at multiple conferences throughout the world, including locations like in Paris, Amsterdam, and Dubai. So, Kevin, I just given MLM Nation a brief intro about what you do, but please tell a little bit more about yourself and how you got involved with the network marketing profession. Well, I appreciate that. And once again, thanks for having me on your program. I'm a big fan of what you do and, and what you contribute to the profession. Um, so, nobody goes to law school saying they're going to be an MLM attorney, right? It's a... Uh, there's not many of us that specialize in this kind of field. Uh, there's really mainly five of us in America, and, and there are some that are sort of aging out and retiring, and, and there are a few that dabble in it. But really, I'd say there's, there's, there's five or less that, that focus their, their energies full-time in the industry. And how it happened with me, um, I, I got infected with this idea in college. I was actually working for a network marketing company, and uh, I was selling energy drinks going to uh, bars. And uh, I was raised by a single mother. We didn't have a whole lot of money, and I was doing whatever I could to, to make a little extra cash. And I fell in love with the idea, the idea that if you make the sales, you get paid, period. If you produce, you get paid. If you don't produce, you don't get paid. doesn't matter who your daddy is, the color of your skin, uh, how tall you are, the sex, uh, you know, male or female. It just doesn't matter. And... Um, so, so I sought out an opportunity soon after law school to work in-house with one of Amway's top sales leaders. And through that experience, I learned the ropes about the industry, and, and I learned what was good with the industry, and I learned what was bad. And I started my own practice around 2000, 2008, late 2008, and never looked back. I decided to focus exclusively on this industry, and I've, I've built the business one client at a time. So what's your typical day like? I know for distributors, they're out prospecting and training people. What do you normally do on a day-to-day basis? So uh, what I do is I try to keep companies out of trouble. So I'll have a, a young company contact me, let's say, and, and they'll share with me their plan. And so in most days, I'm looking at startup companies' compensation plans, and I give them advice. I, I provide really, really detailed reports about – um, what's good about the plan about, and about what's bad about the plan. And so I analyze plans. I also do a lot of contract formation. So companies need policies and procedures. We take care of that. And a lot of these companies have to get registered at the state level. So we take care of all the state registrations. And just fielding phone calls about challenges. Uh, I fielded a phone call today about a company that, that wants to sell uh, a piece of literature containing before and after pictures with a skincare product. And so I give a little bit of advice when it comes to FDA compliance as well. And um, I also make sure that the website's clean, videos are clean. So I do a lot of reviewing of marketing pieces by companies. What are the, some of the, you talk about the bad, the good. What are some of the bad things you've seen? Like when people submit things that will get people in trouble, will get them in trouble with the, FT, the FDA or the FTC. Well, you know, that, that's a great question, and it's been really hard over the past few years up until a, a company recently got sued in October. So prior to October of 2015, there really weren't a whole lot of police officers on the streets, and what was happening is founders, yeah, I'd give advice and, and warn people, that, well, this isn't appropriate, you can't do this, and they'd say, 
in some cases, not in all cases, but in some cases they'd say, well, everybody else is doing it, right? Everybody else is going 80 miles per hour on the freeway. I know the speed limit's 70, but who cares? No tickets, and I've got to do it to be competitive. So it, it got difficult for good companies to really compete. Well, now companies are starting to listen, and a, a common mistake that companies make that before it was really hard for me to, sh- to shake them off this, now it's a little easier, is um, they would have required auto ships. They would literally say, you have to be on auto ship to qualify for commissions. Well, why is that relevant? Well, it, it goes back to the P word, right? It goes back to what is a pyramid scheme, which is a very amorphous, hard to define thing. But for the most part, a pyramid is when there are rewards unrelated to product sales, right? Rewards unrelated to product sales. Well, suppose you sell a $1,000 pencil. It's a product, right? It's not a real one. So, so how do courts determine if a product is real or not? They look at motivations leading to purchases. Why are people buying? Why are distributors buying? And if distributors are required to buy, to participate in the plan, courts are going to say, well, it's not real value moving the product. They're they're punished if they don't buy it, right? Therefore, there's no real value. Therefore, there's pyramiding. So you can't have required auto ships. That's the that's the biggest problem that I see that still shows itself in the industry every now and then. So there are companies with required auto ships, and the products are they're not ridiculous. They're not like the thousand dollar pencil, but they're reasonably priced products. How are these companies getting away with it? Well, so that, that goes back to the, a statement I made earlier. It's just they're, the, the police, they're not on the streets. And, and they, they only sue, the Federal Trade Commission only sues one company at a time. Um, they recently sued a company called Vima. Vima was a very prominent company. They got an ethics award in 2013 with the Direct Selling Association. It was, it was not a bad company. They didn't require the auto ship. It was technically optional. But the way it was presented... People would say, well, if you're serious and the easy, and, and if you want to stay qualified, you're going to be on auto ship. And, and that was a heavy part of the culture. And that was used against them, among other reasons. So, yes, some companies require it uh, and they're not getting caught. It doesn't mean that they'll continue to, to, to avoid trouble in the future. I think you're seeing a lot of companies revisit their auto ship programs today. So if a company doesn't have an ownership, they get rid of the ownership, how can they sustain that volume? What are some things you can do that? What are some things you would recommend them to do? Well, first of all, ownership isn't illegal. You can have an ownership. It's just that when you have a required ownership, when you tell people you have to personally be on ownership to qualify, well, um, what a lot of companies do is they'll say you have to produce X points in volume each month. And, and you, can, you can personally buy, you can subscribe via auto ship, and you can qualify that way. That's one way to qualify. But, but there also needs to be the opportunity to qualify by retail sales. right? So it's really important in every single compensation plan out there for people to be able to advance in the plan and be fully qualified without recruiting anybody, right? Just, just by focusing on retail sales. I know network marketing, it's a combination between recruiting and retailing, but plans need to be open to where people can max out the plan if they choose to focus on retailing. So if I have an order ship, say like a $200 order ship or $150, right, which some companies have, and I 
sell my products. I mean, I take one of the products. I love the product, and I sell the rest. And I mean, $150, $200, it's probably like five to seven products. Sometimes most companies have a $40, $50 product. Um, it, would that be okay? I use one, I sell the rest. Well, that's absolutely, a- absolutely. And, and auto ship, the, the proper way to position the auto ship is it's, an, it's a convenient way to replenish inventory. And it's a convenient way to get inventory that you can sell, which is exactly what you're doing. But if the main culture, if the main message in videos and in conferences and in meetings and in phone calls, if the main message is, hey, just get on auto ship, recruit 10 people, teach them to get on auto ship, and teach those 10 people how to recruit 10 more people to get on autoship. If that's the if that's the gist of the culture, then that can be a problem. Right. So the products have to go to some type of end user. Basically. That's right. Right. So that can't right. be just stock up in your garage. Correct. So, so it's almost like if I if my company has like an autoship program and just say I five get the five products a month and just say, Kevin, you want to buy my product, instead of – I should actually – kind of have a goal to move my products out of the garage first before I sign you up as another customer or as a distributor? Yeah, it, it just depends. Yes, that's right. I mean, it, it, preferably, you want customers ordering directly from the company. That way, the company can, can properly code those customer transactions, hmm. and, and you can deplete your inventory over time. Um, the, the reality is, in most cases, if you have inventory stacking up, send it back. Get a refund. In most cases, the the company provides a twelve month buyback period, so I'd say you don't have to sell it. You can sell it back to the company. That that would be fine. Let's talk about compensation plans because you talk about that's one of the things you analyze. You look at the compensation plans. What determines the compensation plan is good or bad? Yeah, no, so that, that's a great question, and um, courts have never said specifically this is a good kind of plan or that is a bad kind of plan. What courts look at is the behaviors in the field. And the behavior is driven largely by the plan, but but the courts don't go that deep. So, you know, going forward, I think you're going to see more plans that incentivize retail sales or, or at a minimum have some kind of retail sales requirement. So uh, there was a company back in the 70s that uh, the FTC sued and they won. Actually, it was Amway. Amway back in the 70s. And... Um, the, the rule out of that case became known as the Amway safeguards, things that they did that got them out of hot water. And one of the things they did was that they had a retail sales requirement. You had to sell something to customers each month to qualify for commissions. And we've sort of gotten away from that as an industry. Going forward, you're going to see more plans implement retail sales requirements. Here's a perfect example. I have a client of mine. They already had pretty good retail sales numbers, but they needed to improve. And so they said, in order to qualify for the binary commissions, you have to have five customers, right? At any one time, you got to have five customers. Once you accrue five customers, you're fully qualified to tap into the pay plan. It's a very simple requirement, and it worked. So it didn't blow out a lot of people. A lot of people didn't quit. They were able to hit that number, and the reality is, you know, when people are out there making the pitch and recruiting, somebody might say no, and that's fine. That person's a potential customer. So say, well, you, maybe you want to buy some product. And so, so you have access to people. You have access to these customers, but people weren't really trying to get them because they, they, they weren't really required to do it, and there wasn't much of an incentive to do it. Now you're going to see more incentives to get those retail sales. That's very, very good. 
Um, you had mentioned the Amway case back in the 70s. Uh, for those listeners who don't know that, that was a really landmark case. Can you share about the, how that case came about and what it's done for this profession? Absolutely. Well, it's it's the most important case in the industry. And um, without that case, there would be no industry. Uh, so in 1974, the FTC shut down a pyramid scheme successfully. And that company was called Coscott. And pyramid law comes from that case. And uh, the FTC says, okay, we're going to take this case and we're going to go after the big guy. They went after Amway and they sued Amway and alleged them to be a pyramid scheme. And they said that there's a lot of inventory loading, et cetera, et cetera. Amway did what nobody else has done before. They actually won. And they won because of what became known as the Amway safeguards. And they, they, they had policies in place to protect consumers and policies that proved their products had real value, right? That they weren't selling $1,000 pencils. So those policies were a 12-month refund policy, uh, a retail sales rule. So in other words, how can you say the products have no value when people outside the plan are, are buying them? They also had um, what became known as a 70% rule where 70% of the inventory had to move to customers now, now, or, or to, 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 to customers and actually to distributors. That was back in the 70s when uh, that 70% rule, I mean, was keep in mind it was back in the 70s where your top distributors purchased inventory for their entire organizations. So they were spending $10,000 buying for their whole group because that was before UPS and FedEx existed where people can order individual parcels of inventory. So in that context, those people had to move 70% of the inventory outside of their house um, nowadays, you don't have to do that. If you, you buy product for yourself, you don't have to sell 70%. That doesn't make any sense. But, but the point is, Amway had policies to prevent inventory loading and to ensure that the products had value. Is it safe to say that if it wasn't for Amway winning that case, network marketing wouldn't exist today? It would be totally it, shut down? Well, it's not safe. It, it's the truth. It, it's absolutely the truth. It, if they don't make it, there, there, there is no... Uh, Mary Kay. There, there are no other companies that would have launched in the space. They, they, that case essentially provides a roadmap for other network marketing companies. Hmm. Let's talk about um, threats. I mean, aside from the FTC and people like you know Bill Ackman, who went hard against Herbalife. What other threats are out there against the network marketing profession that you're working hard to protect? Yeah, that's a great question. I think we're our own worst enemy. And when I when I started the practice uh, about eight years ago, the first thing I did was publish an ebook titled "Saving the Industry by Defining the Gray," meaning there is a gray in the space that separates good companies from bad. And because the gray is so large, bad companies can pretend like they're good. They can say, well, hey, we're just like XYZ company or we're just like this company, when in reality, they're not. And that soils the reputation of the entire profession. And, and the other flip side of this gray is that good companies can be made to look bad, uh, which is what Bill Ackman has done. You know, Bill, Act- Bill Ackman select- selectively used you know, an excerpt from this case, an excerpt from that case, a piece of this article, and he stitched together a pretty powerful argument that Herbalife is a pyramid scheme. 
And so the industry would benefit by having a lot of clarity. Uh, you know, what, what is appropriate, what is inappropriate um, at a legislative level. And the biggest threat going forward is right now, you know, the, the industry still doesn't want legislation. Well, the downside of that is you, you're, you're at the mercy of a judge. So when the FTC files a lawsuit and there's a ruling, that's the law. And you can't predict what a judge is going to write. And so I, I think it's really foolish to have this kind of mentality. Um, and so I, I think the DSA is sort of rethinking its strategy, and, and they're, and, and they're going to push for federal legislation soon. But they need to hurry up because uh, it, um, you know, the FTC's lawsuit against VEMA, that could be bad. That, that, that to me is a threat to the profession long term. For those who are not familiar, can you explain what the DSA is and what does what does it do? Absolutely. Well, the DSA is a trade association, and it it consists of of members that join the association. And you've got two kinds of members. Basically, you've got member companies, and in order to be a member company, you've got to you know undergo a very rigorous screening process, and they let you in, and you pay dues. And there's the other kind of member is called supplier members, and that's people like me. I'm a DSA supplier member. I provide services to companies. So you get software vendors and lawyers and payment processors and those kinds of people. All these members, we all pay our dues. DSA collects that money, and they lobby. They lobby on behalf of the profession for the most part. And um, they're sort of the gatekeepers about when, when it comes to the rules, uh, in, in the space. And they're, they lobby for state legislation and they also lobby for, well, they did, t- I think, 15 years ago for federal legislation. They need to lobby harder on the federal legislation front. Um, let's go back to the Herbalife Bill Ackman uh, situation. As of this recording, this is February, late February 2016. Can you share with the uh, listeners who are not familiar with that what happened and where that stands right now as of today? No, that's a great, great question, and um, that's why I was on Bloomberg TV uh, a year ago. Bill Ackman is a very prominent and, and well-respected hedge fund manager in New York. He was the most successful. Well, he managed the most successful fund in 2014. 2015 wasn't so good to him, but he had a really good 2014, and, and he is a billionaire, and he's very, very uh, intelligent. And in December of 2012, he invested a one billion dollars. Short Herbalife. So I, I can't really explain how the trade works, but in, uh, on Wall Street, you typically invest and, and project that the company goes up, that it in, in, increases in value. You can also invest and bet that the company goes down. He shorted Herbalife and called them a, a pyramid scheme and went on a very, very aggressive campaign to, to bring them down. Herbalife, to their credit, they, they've survived and they've done fine. They, they've recovered from when that uh, attack started. That being said, Bill Ackman was successful in getting the FTC to investigate Herbalife. So the FTC sent a subpoena about a year and a half ago. They haven't filed a lawsuit. In my opinion, if they, if they, found, the, if they found fraud, they would have done, done something by now. It's been a year and a half. I mean, it, it would have jumped off the page and and hit him in the face if there was some serious pyramiding going on. Um, it doesn't mean that Herbalife is going to, you know, get out of the investigation without paying a fine or doing something. But um, they're they're in pretty good shape for the time being. 
what um when when I asked you about threats, you said one you know we are our worst enemy. What type of distributed behavior hurts the profession? I mean, besides maybe the even if you can share the obvious and not so obvious, so our listeners can be aware of what they're doing on a day to day basis. Absolutely. Well, yeah. so the most obvious thing that distributors do is is the exaggerated income claims. When people talk about you know easy money. That is absolutely horrible, and regulators find that very offensive. And so the, the cure to that is being transparent and honest and saying, you know, it's a two- to five-year plan and providing the averages. So the rule is whenever somebody makes an income claim, they've got to provide the disclosure of what the average is. Every income claim, according to the regulators, is deceptive. It, every above-average income claim is deceptive unless – it's accompanied by a disclosure. So when you see reps making aggressive income claims and they're not showing the averages, that gets a lot of people in trouble. Um, another, I guess, not so obvious thing is really how distributors go about building, right? If you only focus on recruitment, that's a big problem. So the old paradigm was it's a three-step process. Recruit people. Get them on auto ship, teach people the importance of steps one and two. Right? <laughs> now it needs to be about product value. You've, you've got you've to tell the product story more aggressively. And, and the product story has to outweigh the financial story. Hmm. That is really good. Um, the average income claim, I know some people, you know, I think for a lot of companies, between the 400, would you say? It's between the four hundred to eight hundred dollar range, and then there's I'd a say, lot of. I'd say that's accurate. That's great. Well, there's a lot of controversy about that because some say it's too high, some say it's too low. Can you sh- elaborate a little bit more about how companies come up with that number? Yeah, that's that's a great question. We, you know, um, on our website, we've written a lot of articles about proper ways to disclose average earnings, and and really, it's not that complicated. That there's there's two populations, and and, and both populations are important. Population one is you have to factor in every single participant in the business. And that's going to be a very low average because a lot of people join and they do nothing. That will, that will weigh on the average and bring it down. So, And that's simple. That's very simple math to, to show those numbers. The, the second population is the, the number of active participants in the company. And active, you can... You have to disclose how you reach that determination. Usually it involves somebody who sponsored somebody else, somebody who receives a commission check, somebody who's qualified, right? Uh, somebody who, who sells or purchases the, the requisite amount of product each month. Based on those people, the average is usually it's a bit higher. If, if you're more involved and you're more engaged, the average result will be higher. That's how you do it. Um, Here's the thing is a lot of people are scared of showing the averages because in most cases they're low. It's just reality. But I've found that when clients go above and beyond and they, and they push that thing out there aggressively, it actually helps with enrollments because it, it makes people feel better about the company, that they're, they're not hiding. People intuitively know that success is hard and success takes work. And they intuitively know that the average person quits. And that, that lowers the average. They already know that. So when you, when, you, when you lead with that, 
they trust you more, and it tends to actually help with enrollments. As a leader, just say you have a successful organization, what are some things, aside from like the product uh, focus, the retail, you know, sh- sharing the average income, is there anything, any other activities or behavior that they should be doing to ensure that they're building a solid business with a good legal foundation? Yeah, just treating your business like, like a profession, you know, and, and taking a, a long-term view to your success. And so the temptation is to exaggerate the product benefits and exaggerate the income opportunity. And that might lead to rapid sponsorships, but it doesn't lead to good retention. And it leads to bad will. It, it, it leads to a lack of goodwill in the marketplace, which long-term is, is a bad thing. So taking, the, taking a slower, more methodical approach and building the business is really important. Also, being a student of the product, understanding why the product is superior to what else is out there. Um, because if you don't know about the product, then you're going to talk about what? You're going to talk about the opportunity, and that's, a, and, and that's not a good thing. So being a student of the product is imperative. We need more professionals out there in the field, not, not hobbyists that are just trying to get rich quick because that, that doesn't work in this space. Now, you've had over decades of experience, decade of experience, and you started out uh, basically, like you said, uh, selling energy drinks. How have you seen the industry change over the years? And do you see people more open to network marketing as, and I would say less, less negativity? As yeah, you know, I got actually, I, I started in network marketing in 2002, and I, and I started as an attorney in the space in 2006. And, and so I, I have seen a trend, and, and um, the biggest shift is the internet. It's it's um it's connected people, but at the same time, it's really created a lot of exposure for companies because before, consumers couldn't couldn't really market online, they couldn't create content online, so there was less risk of consumers saying stupid things, talking about products curing cancer, for example. They, they couldn't. Their voices didn't have the kind of reach that it has now. Well, now you have Facebook. I mean, things go viral fast. And um, and exaggerated things go viral. So, you know, if I say, you know, this product really helped my mental alertness, well, that's not going to get a whole lot of attention on Facebook. But if I say, this product helped my, my left limb grow back, you know, or a more, a, a more real non-joke uh, example would be, you know, uh, my mother couldn't walk. She took the product, and now she can walk because her arthritis is better. That's a powerful story that, that would spread on Facebook. So companies are having a very hard time figuring out how to, how to monitor behavior online. It's, it's tough. What's your vision of network marketing? Where do you see it going, and what are you excited about? You know, I anticipate that it will improve significantly and and we'll we'll have more trust. I compare it to the history of franchising. So franchising right now is self-evident. There's a German philosopher, Arthur Schopenhauer. He said that truth evolves through three stages. First, it's ridiculed, then it's opposed, then it's self-evident. Well, franchising is self-evident. I think 8% of GDP runs through franchising. Back in the 50s, it was largely viewed as a scam because there was a lack of trust in that concept. There's a lot of people that were overstating the benefits of the, their franchises, and people lost a lot of money. And so you, you get intelligent regulation, 
People trust the concept and off it goes. We're at a similar inflection point in this industry where regulators are getting more engaged. The cops are on the street. Very, very clear. So now owners, instead of trying to figure out and ask themselves, what can I get away with? Now owners are trying to be more responsible. And, and I think that will lead to a better environment overall. And, and I, think, I think we will see some regulation coming out that's, that makes it better for the profession, makes it harder for companies. But for the companies that make it, they're going to be in really good shape because people will be more inclined to trust the model because there will be less garbage on the streets. That's what I'm anticipating in the future. Hey, thank you for sharing your wisdom and your experience. It's been very, very insightful. Uh, as we wrap up the show, Kevin, some really quick questions just to pick your brain because you are a successful entrepreneur. Uh, and one of the questions, and these could be really short answers, is what is one of your favorite success quotes that has motivated you? It's not really a success quote. It's, it's just a quote that got my attention when I was um, a, a young adult, and um, it's, it's in a novel. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share it with you. Life's a forge. And hammer and anvil too. You'll be roasted, smelted, and pounded, and you'll scarce know what's happening to you. But stand boldly to, to it. Metal is worthless until it is tempered. And, and the reason why I like that is that, you know, sometimes in life you just take a beating, and you know what? That's part of the process because metal is worthless until it is shaped and tempered. Mm, that's so good. Where's that from? It's uh, the book is called Terran Wanderer, written by Lloyd Alexander. What is one habit or routine you have that's helped you become successful? I work out every morning, and, and I think that's important. I think it's important to start the day where, where you have a, a small achievement and something that you do just for yourself. It's personal, and then that gets the blood flowing, and then you walk in the office with more confidence and more energy. And, and, and I tend to think that I make better decisions when I'm in better shape. Absolutely. What, uh, what time do you get to the gym by? Uh, 7.30. Very cool. Uh, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received in your life? It would be from my grandfather, who was my father figure. And um, he told me that for some people, you, you can't rely on luck. You have to make your own breaks. You have to create your own opportunities and, and not to rely on anybody. I was complaining because nobody helped me in my Boy Scout um, uh Pine, Pinewood Derby competition, and I got, I got crushed. And I said, you know, well, I got crushed because nobody helped me. And he said, tough, deal with it. And, 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 I, and I realized really early that, you know what, if it's going to happen, I've got to make it happen. I can't count on anybody around me to, to do things for me. Do you have a favorite online resource, like a Dropbox or Evernote, or your favorite app on your phone that helps you with your business productivity? Oh, my goodness, yes. Uh, Box. Box.com. It's an amazing uh, file sharing service, and it's um, it's got an amazing uh, iPhone app, uh, Android app, and I've got immediate access to all my files whenever I want them. Very, very cool. And what's one book you could recommend to ML Nation? One book. I would say you know, the book that I'm reading now, it's called uh, Smart Cuts. And it's about the, the importance of, of, um, of being intelligent with your decisions to accelerate your growth and accelerate your learning. It's a phenomenal book. I'm really enjoying it. Hey, talk about timing. I just started reading that last night by Shane Snow. It's so good. It's, it's good, isn't it? Yeah. So the intro, the first part is so good, or the riddle, right? It's so good. I'm enjoying it. 
And uh, ML Nation, I know you love audio because you listen to the show. So if you haven't already, you can get an amazing free audiobook at MLMNationBook.com. That is MLMNationBook.com. If you want to get over the fear of prospecting, or maybe there's people you have to follow up, you're worried you haven't followed up with, and it's driving you crazy, I'll teach you a couple of tricks to get around that. You check out my sponsoring workshop webinar. It's a free two-hour training. It's free totally, and it's offered a couple of days of the week and also a couple of different times. So for those in different countries, definitely check it out. I actually go through how to create passion, confidence, and the self-talk you must have to help you overcome those fears so you actually talk to those people. It's actually really pretty, pretty simple. There's a couple of five things that you must do. So check it out. It will, these are the things, same things, uh, strategies I use to sponsor over one person a week. I sponsor over 80-something people a year. Year for over two and a half years, and that basically laid the foundation for a million dollar business that still pays you six figure residual income. So, check it out sponsoringworkshop.com. Get registered, it's free. Sponsoringworkshop.com. I look forward to seeing you at the training. So, Kevin, thank you so much for your time. As we wrap up, do you have any last words of advice? And then uh, I know your company has awesome blogs about the industry, about the pay plans and stuff. What's the best way our listeners can connect and contact you? Well, so we've been writing and providing free content for close to a decade, and uh, I'm really proud of the content we have. Go to the website, thompsonburton.com. Again, thompsonburton.com slash MLM attorney, or just Google MLM attorney. I'm number one. Click on it, and, and you can find content there. Also, if people want to reach me, the easiest way to reach me is on my Facebook page, and that's facebook.com slash MLM legal, MLM legal, or in Facebook, just do a search for Kevin Thompson, MLM attorney, and you'll see me. And um, and I respond to all kinds of questions presented there as well. And do you have any last words or advice? Uh, have fun. You know, I, I don't know you, the listener, but I know something about you. I know that you're 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 spending energy and you're taking risks to make your life better. And I salute you for that, and I respect you for that. And uh, that's something that you and I have in common. And, and I'm a big fan of people that accept personal responsibility and put in the work to improve themselves. And so never quit. Keep pushing. Keep learning. Keep growing. And be patient. My advice is be patient because uh, over time, you, you'll, you'll find a way to win. ML Nation, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And today, you'll be hanging out with Kevin Thompson. So keep up the momentum and go to MLMNation.net and just type in Kevin, K-E-V-I-N, at the search bar. And Kevin's contact info and all the great wisdom he shared will be right there. In order to be successful in business, you must be a giver. So Kevin, thanks again for sharing your valuable time with ML Nation. We're grateful to you and we appreciate you for having a positive impact on millions of distributors worldwide. Kevin, thank you so much for sharing your valuable time. God bless you. Thanks again. I'm honored to be here. Thank you. Hey, ML Nation. If you want to take your business to the next level, highly recommend you check out ML Nation Insider. Here's a special offer just for listeners only. You cannot get on a website. Uh, ML Nation Insider, you have access to all the courses I have. I normally sell these for $47. But as an Insider member, you get them all for free. Okay. Now, here's the offer you can't get on the website. If you go to this, you can get a dollar trial for seven days. Not only do you get the courses, you can also ask me questions, personal coaching, and a Facebook group, and also access to the previous uh, recordings we've done, trainings that we've done. We go everywhere from flyer marketing to social media. It's all available for you. 
Here's a special offer. It's a dollar for seven days. You can only get it at MLMNationInsider.com. Okay, MLMNationInsider.com. Check it out and uh, let me know what you think after you take the dollar trial. Hey, ML Nation, Simon Chen, recap and review from an awesome purple episode. A little different than normal, right? But an MLM super friend who's done so much, she's gone out there in the media defending that we're marketing from the haters, from the enemies, from the threats. Kevin Thompson, make sure you thank him. He is really an MLM super friend. He's done so much. He and his firm. Uh, go check out his website as well. You know, thomasburden.com. Just go to mlnation.net. Go to the search bar, put in Kevin, K-E-V-I-N, and order links to him, Facebook, connect with him, and also to his company's site. Uh, very useful blog posts and videos he comes out with time to time that really gives you a better idea of what we should be doing to protect a valuable profession. Because we are in the awesome profession, right? And there are bad apples, they're good, but hey, that's like any industry, right? Any profession. Stock market, there's good and bad. There are good and bad teachers, there's good and bad doctors, right? There's good and bad. So when you see some negativity, don't just be hurt by it. Hey, that's just life. There's good and bad on every side. And we have Kevin out there who's protecting us from all the threats out there. For you out there listening, you know, a couple of the main things. Uh, you know, I ne- never mention company names out there because uh, this is generic training. But the Amway case back in the 70s, that's a huge landmark case. That is one thing that makes our profession legal. We're not a pyramid scheme. And we actually really have to thank Amway, who set those uh, middle kind of like the pioneers who took that uh, hit, the blunt, the, the blame or the criticism. They fought for us. If it wasn't for that, we would not even be where we are today. And that the profession's really grown. And Kevin shared about the three phases, right? Initially, you got really Second, people oppose it. And third, it's self-evident. I think right now you've heard over 169 episodes, network marketing is self-evident that it's a legal profession. Now, people may not think they can do it, but I tell you, everyone knows someone who's been successful in network marketing. And uh, it's really exciting times for the profession. You know, a couple of things I just want to make sure your leaders, you're growing out there, I'm going to keep this short, is number one, don't make exaggerated income claims because that's going to get you in trouble, right? And I think the profession is moving away from that, the bling-bling and all that, um, the fancy cars, the mansions. And as we attract better and better people, and this is a common theme throughout this um, past half a year, a lot of top earners are S-people. They're the successful types, right? And if you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, these are the people who are smarter, business-minded, attorneys, people, professionals like Kevin or business owners. These are the people you want in your business, all right? These are people we've had on the show, and you need to approach them in a professional manner. And all that bling-bling, all that stuff, the fancy cars, mansions, that attracts often a lower-quality people. And I think the, the industry is really moving away from that, moving away from that uh, get-rich-quick type of deal. Because number one is not get-rich-quick. You're lying to people, and it's a, really a two- to five-year plan. You're working smarter, right? Number two is... Don't just focus on recruitment, product stories, product sales. That's really important. I'll just share from my experience. You know, I was a top sponsor in my company. I sponsored 80 people a year. I did that for like two two years or so. And then what happened was I had very bad retention. People were quitting. They were not staying on ownership. The really turning point for me was getting product training in there, product stories, knowing the product well. And getting, and by the way, at the same time, Right When I started training and learning, I had to work on myself because I'm the leader. As I worked on that, I got customers. Guess what? My product belief increased even more, and my downline saw that. And then their product belief increased. So even the ownership, they couldn't use it. They would sell off their ownership, right? And that increased retention. And people, and they started getting distributors because... 
everyone could see themselves. They may not make the millions, but at least they can sell off a couple products and make some part-time income. So those are two you know, very important things. And also number three, think long-term. When the, Nothing is easy. Nothing is fast in life. If they say it's fast, it's easy. Normally, you're going to be a fool. Right? That's what it is. And if you heard people who became successful really quickly, it's normally because they have been providing value uh, they've been doing network marketing. They, they've just been they've been basically networking, doing network marketing for the whole lives before they joined the network marketing. They may have been networking in the community. They may be networking at a church. They may be providing value in the school. They just didn't join a company, but they've been doing that, building long term relationships for a long, long time. You, you just can't go from scratch and do network marketing, make tons of money real quickly. Just not. Uh, you know, it's just not the reality. Most of the people that come from some type of influence, they like I said, they've been doing network marketing even before they were in a network marketing company. Just, the, but like building genuine long-term relationships. So think long-term. Position, you know, present the business in a professional manner and. Keep this profession safe because we are the best profession, you know. I, I love network marketing. Why? Three reasons. Allow me to live my purpose in the driven life to empower others. I have three beliefs. Number one, I believe network marketing fulfills our unlimited potential. A lot of the leaders you've heard of here allow, allows us to do things, incredible things, right? We're born with skills, talents. We never had them. And network marketing forces us to get us outside our comfort zone. And number two, network marketing allows us to give back more. Or whether it's money or time, or for me, give you give back by getting great super friends like Kevin Thompson to share their experience to grow your business by giving back. One well, number three, network marketing allows us to be better parents and create a, you know really a legacy and to really pass on generations. And also, network marketing allows women to really, especially stay-at-home moms, to do something that you know that allows them make some part-time income but still spend time with kids. So really, an awesome, awesome profession and. Kevin Thompson out there protecting us and making us aware of the things we should be aware of. So thanks again, Kevin. Thanks for you for all listening. If you like the show, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. This is also an episode for those who want to know about the profession, a great episode to share. Share the upline, downlines, crosslines, and definitely connect with Kevin. Check out his blogs for those who want to learn more about network marketing. It's an awesome, awesome resource. So Alma Nation, thanks for making me loud and proud to be a network marketing professional. Professional, be producing ML Nation for you. And remember, we're in the profession to help others. So go out there and have a positive impact on someone's life today. God bless you all. Thank you so much for joining us today on MLM Nation. Head over to MLMNation.net for full recaps of every show, our training articles, and helpful resources. Your MLM success is waiting for you. So prepare to take off.